You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Congressman Sam Farr represents the 17th District of California in the United States House of Representatives. He's a member of the House Appropriations Committee, the most senior Democratic member from California, serving on the Subcommittee of Agricultural, Rural Development, Food and Drug Administration, and related agencies. Thank you for joining me, Congressman Farr. It's a pleasure. Let's talk about the health care reform effort, which is on the tips of everybody's tongues, or actually what's not in it is, tends to be what's talked about. Tell me, give me your, your price is why do we need health care reform? Well, I'm not sure we need to reform health care. We need to reform the way in which it's paid for and the way in which it's, it's cost, it's billed. And uh, that's why this bill is really not called health care reform. It's called the insurance reform bill, health care insurance, because that's what we do. We require everybody in the United States to be covered. So when people receive a benefit, receive a service, uh, that it'll be paid for. How does this work? This is a big bill. It has a lot of parts in it. Can you kind of break it down for us into some of the basic parts? I mean, I was shocked to learn that there's a Health Choices Administration Commissioner, presidential appointment created by this uh, bill. Well, we can get into that. But essentially, it is the goals here are to have uh, universal coverage, uh, to bring down the cost of health care, uh, and to improve the quality of health care. Now, that's a big how do you do all that? Because <laughs> usually question. when you improve quality, it costs more. But uh, what we're doing now is you have uh, what they call fee-for-service. The more things you order for a patient, the more money you make. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you're buying very fancy equipment, you need to pay that off, and doctors or hospitals, and so you attach high bills to them. And how do you bring? How do you get everybody in the tent and bring the cost down? So this this one, everybody gets in. You get to go to an exchange, which we've never had before. Mm-hmm. First of all, let me start by saying, what what it, how it works now is insurance companies get to pick people who they want to insure based on how well they are and how well they think they will be. That is, they don't want to insure sick people because sick people cost money. Obviously. So if you have what we call pre-existing condition, you've been sick, you've had cancer, you've had a, a heart attack, whatever, insurance companies see that and will say, well, we'll insure you, but we're not going to cover those costs, <laughs> which most likely you are going to be your next medical cost. So mm-hmm. you don't get insured for that. Or uh, they've said, well, we, we capped out what we were going to pay you, and you went to Stanford Hospital, and, and now you're sending us a bill for $60,000, and we can't, you know, we're not going to pay that. So they've been able to cut people off in the middle of treatment. That, that stops. It says, look, um, you're all licensed to, to provide health care insurance. In order to get a license, you're going to have to provide um, a comprehensive care. Everybody's going to have a basic plan. Every insurance company will have to have the basic plan. And the basic plan is going to say that you can't, pre, uh, you can't preclude anybody's pre-existing condition. You cannot cut off people in the middle of their costs. You cannot, uh, and by the way, we're going to require that you, uh, in the basic plan, cover uh, mental health uh, tr- payments just like you would... Um, uh, other medical payments, and that we're going to include substance abuse and alcohol abuse because a lot of people um, have problems that are related to, you know, to to addiction, and um, 
we need to get them out of that and treat them for that addiction. And, and I think those are, those are really sound things. So everybody will, will have to do that, every insurance company. Then, well, there's all kinds of different insurance companies, and they're going to offer different. You get to go to an exchange. Mm-hmm. And in that exchange, they're all lined up. They all have their basic plan, their medium plan, and their Cadillac plan. And you just line up by cost and what your particular needs are. Some of them will give you more benefits uh, or less benefits. For children, they all have to have a dental care and vision care. Mm-hmm. But for adults, those could be options. Mm-hmm. Some of them will include it. Some will say, well, we'll give it to you if you pay a little bit more. So the point is that you're going to have choice that you've never had before. You're going to have, uh, we're going to cap out the total costs that you have to pay. And it sounds like in so terms they of... they can't charge you more. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a percentage of your income. It's limited to that. So the out-of-pocket expenses uh, are limited. That's, that's huge. That's really important. And we were talking about choice. With its ex- exchange, it sounds like the choice will be easily accessible to the insurance customers, health insurance customers. Well, that's why we have somebody that mm-hmm. looks over that exchange and makes <laughs> sure that they're all saying it in the same language. We do that in Medicare now. It's very easy to see what your choices are in Medicare, Part A, Part B. Uh, and we're going to require that the insurance companies put out this basic plan in very legible uh, it also, I think, they'll be in their advantage because they're going to want. I mean, if you're in the healthcare and business now, and everybody's going to have to play by the same rules, mm-hmm. you're going to want to have more customers than your competitor. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to offer a, a better product. Well, that sounds like you know we've heard of the patients' bill of rights. This sounds like the health insurance customers' bill of rights. That's a good way of putting it. That's exactly what it ought to be called. Now, explain to me um, about some, this Health Choices Administration. That's an interesting creation. And when we're talking a presidential appointment, that seems like a pretty big deal. That, again, I haven't heard boot This is an advisory committee that is looking at, uh, right now, Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. All their doctors on salary. They don't own any interests. They don't own interests in, in, a, in a clinic. They don't own interests in a drug company or in a device company. Uh, they get just salaried. That's why they're Mayo Clinic. And they are very good because mm-hmm. what they have done is, is come up with protocols. What are the best ways to uh, fix something that's broken? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've eliminated all the unnecessaries, which are all those extra costs. Mm-hmm. And how do you get advice as a doctor as to, about what kinds of things uh, clinics like Mayo Clinic is, is doing so that you can incorporate in your own practice? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what this board is to do, is to take a look at uh, what are the best practices out there. And it's advisory. Uh, nobody, doctors don't have to follow it, but I think most professionals would want to. Um, you know, anybody that learns how to do something uh, better, maybe faster, uh, certainly less costly, uh, and still with a proven uh, quality result, why wouldn't you want to do that? But where do you go to get that information? You go to the Health Choices Administration, apparently. That sounds like a great idea. Now, I wanted to get back to this idea of capping the out-of-pocket expenses that the uh, uh, insurance customers will have to pay because this is, a, this is a, a huge thing in terms of, I guess, almost 15% of uh, bankruptcies these days are due to medical expenses. Is this going to help him reduce that to, like, zero? Well, exactly. I mean, we cap out those, depending on your income, of how much out-of-pocket uh, you have to pay. And you will be able to go to an exchange, remember. You can always go back to this. Uh, 
this exchange exists. We don't call it that, but it, it, wherever you have a large number of employees, say the state of California has mm -hmm. through the California um, Employees uh, Retirement System, um, all of the federal state employees in the cities and counties buy into it, and so does a lot of the school districts. They have a plan, and you get a, as a state employee living in Monterey, Santa Cruz County, living whatever county in California, you, that booklet, you turn to that county where you live, and it shows the health care providers that have signed up uh, with the comp to sell their their insurance. Now, in order to uh, sign up, they have to or, all offer these basic plans. Mm -hmm. Now, some will put in vision care, some will put in uh, dental care, some will give you better benefits for children, some will give you better benefits for elderly. So you choose depending on your age and your family needs, uh, and it tells you exactly what your premium costs are gonna be. We have the same system in the federal government. I'm a member of Congress. I pay 300, I chose uh, Federal Blue Cross. I had Blue Cross when I was in California. And it's a $384 uh, premium payment uh, each month. Mm -hmm. But, you know, is that a lot? I don't know. I ran into a woman in a town hall meeting last night. Uh, she and her husband are both independent uh, small businesses, just themselves. They're professionals. They work out of their house. Mm -hmm. uh, she said each one of their premiums is $800 a month. Yeah, that's, that's, that's been my experience. And she said, can I, I don't know if I can keep affording this at all. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, now you're going to be in a big group plan like I am. And I would suspect that your, in, your insurance payments will probably more be like what I'm paying now will come down half of what you're paying and maybe more. This is phenomenal. Um, talk about the so-called public health insurance option, geographically adjusted. Well, this public health insurance option is, I think, key to the bill because, first of all, remember, everybody has to be insured. Mm -hmm. So if you get everybody insured, they're all inside the room, you close all the doors because now we're all insured, and who's controlling the insurance company? So then they just turn up the heat. Mm -hmm. And you have nowhere to go because it's getting more expensive and more expensive and you have nobody to appeal to and say, well, uh, I didn't sign up for you just to raise the rates. What keeps them honest mm -hmm. is outside the door you got this public option. Mm -hmm. You can all say, you can say, look, I want to leave my, you're not, I'm going to go to this public option. Now, we have to set this up. This is a government insurance program. Mm -hmm. And what we've required in the bill is that you can't make this so attractive that everybody just dumps their private insurance because we need the private insurance out there to carry the, the load. But we also need a, uh, uh, if there's no other way, no affordability, no other way you can get insured, then you have an option to go to the public option. So what we do is we say we're going to set this up as, a, as an insurance uh, company. It's going to have to stand on its own financial feet. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be able to offer it so cheaply that it, because we don't want to subsidize it. It's going to have to pay for itself. Uh, it'll probably have to be subsidized to start, as one does any kind of business. You, sure. You know, you seed borrow money. the money, put seed money into it. But, and we're only going to allow a limited entry of, of people who can't otherwise get insurance to come there. And once it gets financially sound, then it will be uh, equally competitive uh, with the other insurance companies. That'll be years out. But by then, uh, the, the, the private insurance industry ought to have worked out the bugs and, and both the public option and offers in the pri private uh, sector will be, I think, very similar. Think but it's going to keep them honest. Good. It's going to keep them honest because uh -huh. they, they know that there's, there's, a, there's another place that their customer can go.
Well, I, my experience of healthcare competition is that they seem to be co competing to drive the prices up, not down. Well, the competition more, uh, unfortunately, is more of we don't want to insure people who we know are going to get sick. Mm. So you don't choose the insurance company. They choose you. That's an interesting We're turning perception. it around to having a customer has choices. We haven't had choices before because, you know, you and I are seemingly pretty healthy. Uh, we're not probably going to get dinged if we want to buy insurance. But if I were a, a person with, with a lot of medical needs uh, and a lot of medical history, uh, I don't have any choice. I can't go anywhere. Nobody wants me. Mm. It's like crea it's as if we're creating a market again, a free market again, where there really wasn't one because we had a free market in reverse before. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I can't understand. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm for the single payer. I, I'm, I'm much more. I, I love that we do have, uh, you know, in a sense, socialized medicine uh, or government-provided medicine. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fantastic. It's called veterans care and, or, and military care. And a lot of people will, used to say, well, that was awful care. Not today's world. No. If you've watched that, you know, Baghdad, hospital Baghdad, uh, the, the emergency care that our soldiers get is the best emergency care in the world. Uh, the veterans administrations, we've been investing in building brand new hospitals. The one in Palo Alto here is, is uh, equal to Stanford's uh, hospital. It's got all the Stanford research, and, and it's wonderful. And it's the trauma center for when we have wounded uh, warriors coming back to the United States. They go to the Palo Alto. And... Uh, Oh, incredible veterans hospital. So, but those are the only things that are really government. Medicare is paid for by government, but we uh, we we farm it out through through competitive bidding to a insurance uh, company to provide the the payments to mm -hmm. make the payments. And you, as the customer, the Medicare recipient, get to choose the doctor you want to go to. Mm -hmm. So. We have both, you know, in, in these big uh, deliveries of medicine, which I think are very, one, Medicare is comprehensive, covers all, two, uh, the, the, the veterans and military uh, uh, is, is, is great medicine. And, you know, that's one of the things I complain to these members of Congress who have, uh, we have a, a Navy clinic downstairs in the House of Representatives that the senators and members of the House and members of the Supreme Court is a drop-in clinic. And... It's a Navy run. You don't always have the same doctors. They will. There's a member of Congress that says this isn't the best thing uh, there is. We also have for our families this federal insurance program, which is the kind of insurance program we're gonna. We want everybody in the United States to have. You said you're a proponent of single payer health care. Um, is there any hope for that to happen in this in this reform, as things seem to be going south and north at the same time? Well, it's in the bill to allow states. Mm -hmm. uh, California has voted twice in the legislature uh, to create a single-payer system in California, and it's twice been vetoed. Mm. Um, I understand that uh, Senator Leno from San Francisco has got a bill in the Senate uh, to uh, pass it again. Probably will get the votes because it's done it in, in previous uh, sessions of the legislature, but He's not pushing that bill until he sees whether the, the federal bill will give the state the option to do single-payer. One of the things that this bill talks about and does, I think, that I think is very interesting is to address uh, the problem of creating new doctors. 
Well, that's a good question because ideally the way it should work is that everybody has their, their personal doctor, and those are family care uh, or, the, or, the, or the primary care providers, mm-hmm. and you go through them. I mean, here's, here's what's – there's two things that's happening right now. People will go to a party and meet a friend who had a hip replacement mm-hmm. by an orthopedic specialist. Mm-hmm. This is the story that orthopedic specialist told me. Next day, that specialist gets a call and says, well, I heard, Joe, you gave Joe a brand-new hip. He was just loved it. I've been having a lot of problems and pains in my hip. Maybe I, I think I need one. I'd like you to be my doctor. Mm. So he goes to see this doctor, and the doctor says, he knows in his mind after looking at him, he says, he, doesn't need, he needs two Tylenol. <laughs> and, but, but I've got to order a lot of tests because, you know, if I don't do that, I may get sued or he may not, you know, so-and-so. And so the doctor was saying, I have to do a lot of stuff that I know isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. It's driving up the cost of health care. And uh, he said, what, what I really would have appreciated is if he'd gone to his primary care doctors first mm-hmm. and said to him, uh, you know, I got a bad hip. And he would have said, well, let's, let's look at things. And he would have been able to diagnose uh, that it wasn't so serious that he needed to go to a specialist. Mm-hmm. So it, it, we need one. We need to make sure that we have that home port where you can always go to and get sure. sound kind of general advice from your family practitioner who will know when you need to go see a specialist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then what also we need to do is provide more of those doctors because what's happening uh, with doctors, and you can't blame them, is they're getting into all. I think everybody goes into medical school dedicated to want to be nothing but a, 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 a tremendous doctor. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them want to go into primary care medicine because that's where you're hands-on with the people. But what happens in your third year of medical school is you're beginning to look around. You're now seeing that your debt has gone up to, and by the time you graduate, it's going to be over $200,000. And you're starting to think, gee, I'm going to start a practice. I've got to move to a town. I probably want to buy a house there. Um, getting married and maybe you know my kids are going to have to cost for that and uh, I'm going to have a doctor's office I'm going to have to pay some rent I'm going to have to hire some staff or I'm going to have to pay into a firm if I'm chosen to go into a a practicing firm and all they see is these mounting costs Mm. and they realize I can't get there from here I can't pay all these things as a a young doctor so therefore I'm going to start looking around at uh, at these other specialties And that's happening in America. Oh, yeah, and there's a definite uh, deficit of primary care physicians. So in this bill, what we do is we, we encourage medical schools, uh, you know, we support them heavily uh, with federal funding into medical schools to uh, produce more primary care doctors. And we say to the individual, if you go into primary care, guess what? We can uh, wipe out your uh, student loan if you sign up for, uh, to spend just like we would if you signed up to go in the military, uh, to go to a military school like uh, Annapolis Boy, or West Point. That's amazing. You give five years like, the, like you do. I mean, it costs about almost $200,000 for a, uh, to train a, uh, a soldier at, at Annapolis, and mm-hmm. uh, they give back five years. So we train somebody and as a, a doctor. Uh, they give back five years. They don't have to pay back their their loan or if you go into a critical community that's underserved uh, we forgive your we do some loan forgiveness so there's ways of uh, both helping the individual uh, uh, be in in that primary care um, uh, treatment and medical schools to encourage more uh, uh, more graduation of primary care doctors one of the things we're seeing is a lot of uh, attention to things that are demonstrably untrue 
and sometimes just seem like wildly tinfoil hat insane. Could you talk about trying to craft um, complex legislation like you've just been talking to me about with uh, covering these issues from a variety of uh, perspectives and then trying to explain that to the the tinfoil hats? You know, I've been in elective office for 35 years in various elective offices at local, state, and federal level, and I've been having a lot of town hall meetings and doing a lot of public speaking. Never in my life have I ever seen such a a discounting of fact Mm -hmm. and the fact that the truth doesn't count or the statement that that. And I, I think that's dangerous for this nation. We have got to get back if we're going to have any kind of an agreement uh, among among educated people as to find solutions, we at least have to under, have the understanding of the facts. A reality. Because we are here fixing something that is obviously broken from many different ways that you've already brought up. It's mm-hmm. broken in the sense that, we, that it's too expensive and getting more and more expensive. It's, 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 it's broken the fact that we don't have enough doctors to, to treat the, the kinds of things that need to be treated. It's broken that it, there's 47 million people that aren't on on, that aren't covered at all, no way, no way that can be paid for. And, and the list goes on and on. So let's at least agree to the facts that these things exist and then discuss in an, in an intelligent way of how to solve them. I think this bill does it. I think the debates inside the committees in Congress have raised a lot of the issues that, that the, sort of the, the fanatics have raised on the street uh, and dealt with them in language. I mean, there's language in here. Uh, that says no undocumented person will get federal funding to, uh, for, 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 for health care. There is language in here that says that uh, the federal government uh, will not pay for abortions. Uh, private insurance companies can. They have been, and they offer that as a, uh, uh, an option. Um, so, you know, you, these, and, and, and this whole idea about a death squad, I mean, there's nothing in the bill about it. All it says is, look, we have a, a, a websites in America called, uh, 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 you know, Five Wishes, and and it's dot fivewishes.org. You, I recommend anybody's hearing this to go look at it. What it says is, look, here are the kinds of things that you're going to face as you become incapacitated, uh, 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 and you need to know. Uh, what those options are. You need to know them for yourself and your family. And here, here are the things you can do to help mitigate uh, some of the, the problems you're going to face. It's totally a choice. All we say in the bill is let it, that information be known to people. What if they have to do it? They don't follow anything else. They don't have to do a darn thing. And all of a sudden, we've got death squads and we've got death panels. I mean, it just isn't true. There's nowhere in the world that there's even uh, anything like that in this legislation. So, it's very difficult because people hear that and, you know, in general, they distress government. So maybe it's true, but uh, it isn't. And I think that's why it's such an important role of responsible media in America to be just to really point out what the facts are. You have uh, four town hall meetings coming up, August 31st at 6 p.m. in Salinas Town Hall, September 2nd at 6 p.m. in King City Town Hall, September 3rd at 6 p.m. in Watsonville Town Hall, and September 12th in the Monterey Town Hall um, at 10 a.m. Um, could you talk about planning these town hall meetings? And, and I, I understand the last one in uh, Santa Cruz was, was pretty wild, <laughs> which is ra- I found ra- rather surprising. Um, how do you plan for, for this kind of uh, event? 
Well, I've been in Congress for 16 years, and every August I have town hall meetings, and I have them in the exact towns you just uh, mentioned and many, many others. I've had three so far, uh, Monterey, Santa Cruz, and, and uh, Hollister, one in each county. And I'm continuing to the to the South County and King City and to uh, Watsonville and 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 uh, one here in Salinas, uh, the county seat. And um, I'm they have been raucous. Uh, the attendance has been far greater than it's been at any of the town hall meetings I've had in the past. Uh, you know, I, I I look at that as a as good thing. I I think that uh, a requirement to uh, for democracy is that you have to have a well educated electorate, and I think a lot of these people are coming to these town hall meetings to to be better educated. And uh, it's interesting that that frankly, even even though there's a lot of heated exchanges in that, at the end of the day, I think a lot more people walk out of those meetings in favor of the legislation than against it. Um, one of the pieces of legislation that was passed uh, earlier this year was the Economic Stim uh, Stimulus Recovery Package. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be working, which is, uh, we're not hearing a lot about how it's working. Maybe you could talk about how it's working here in the South, in the Central Coast. Well, it, 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 what's in remarkable about this bill is the way Congress was told they had to do it, is they had to, look, we had to just get a lot of money spent, mm -hmm. like throw a lot of water on that fire. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and get it into people's hands that will spend it. Well, how do you do that? You have to. Invent, you didn't want to sit around and invent new law and then have to write up the administrative regulations for the law. So we said, let's just use existing law that's out there. Let's use the formulas that exist. And let's put money into those formulas that really show us that the money's going to get in the hands of communities, not going to be kept in Sacramento for a bankrupt state legislature and governor, not be allowed to be siphoned off by, by somebody else. So we created literally thousands of categories. Mm -hmm. And uh, public works is usually the fastest way to stimulate the economy because you have blue-collar jobs that are doing things. And frankly, at the end of the day, you have a better, you have an infrastructure that's improved. So a lot of money into, you know, developing water issues and sewer issues and road issues and transportation issues. And uh, that money is now trickling down. And you're seeing a lot of roads here get resurfaced. Shovel-ready, the fastest way to do shovel-ready is to repave a road. Uh, you don't repave roads that don't need it, but you repave the roads that are really in bad shape. And a rural area, a lot of agriculture, a lot of heavy trucks uh, beating the heck out of our roads. And we're now getting them fixed up for the first time. That's good because that money is staying in the local economy. And you're beginning to see other areas of eligibility. Uh, our university here has put together a consortium of all the interests in broadband where, where we're going to try to get access to, uh, um, uh, you know, state-of-the-art communication systems in very rural areas. Because if we don't do that, the children that are growing up in that area are going to be disadvantaged. And as they get older, they're going to leave the rural area. The rural area, we need people to live there uh, to care for the for the for, for the uh, ruralness of of America, and um, so we need to bring to them the technology, uh, as in the old days, we brought to them water, and we brought to them with government assistance, uh, uh, telephones, and and so on. That seems very important. Now, um, could you talk a little bit about you spend a long time in the California legislature? And even though you're not in it now, I'd like you to just offer me some of your observations about what's what's happening in California and maybe how what you're doing on a national level that can maybe help us. Well, we've had about 30 years in California where we uh, just uh, got 
crazy about uh, adopting initiatives. Mm-hmm. And it started with Proposition 13, which, you know, the legislature and sort of those in the know thought, well, this, is, this, this, this kind of issue's been on the ballot a lot and always gets defeated. And, and, and when it passed, it, it, it was a shock. It was probably the greatest political uh, revolution in, 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 finance, in public financing uh, in California history. But it did something else very subtly. It told people who ran campaigns that there's a whole new market. You don't have to stick with these individuals who want to go out and run for public office. We got a whole new uh, political market out there to run initiatives. Mm-hmm. And California Constitution made it very easy to do initiatives. It takes 3% of the uh, total vote cast signatures to get a, a, a statutory law, common law. Uh, written uh, in, in put it on the books, or for a few more signatures, five percent, you get a constitutional initiative. So everybody's out there. You have pollsters going out and saying, "What do you don't like? What is it that just makes you up so upset?" Somebody writes a law around that. You get a group of people to say, "We can make some money funding this," or we we're just you know we passionately feel that this has got to be done, uh, and we're going to get the signatures. And guess what? We're going to amend it in the California Constitution, so they can't mess with it. Because the only way a constitution can be amended is by the vote of the people. So if you want to amend it, you've got to go back every time for every word to the people. Initiatives don't get amended. Uh, so since 1978, when we'd cleaned up the California Constitution through the Constitution Revision Commission process, which still went to the voters, the voters approved it all, they turned around, and since then we've had, you know, I don't know how many, but uh, scores of initiatives, constitutional initiatives, that have amended the Constitution so that now state government and local government have their hands tied. Mm -hmm. They can't govern. Mm -hmm. And there's no other state, certainly no other industrial state. Uh, I think there's only one other state that requires a two-thirds vote. That's probably what's most broken. But we have done a lot of other damage to uh, governance in California uh, by this initiative process. And, frankly, so it isn't just blaming it on Sacramento. They cannot fix it without the vote of the people in this, in this state. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to have to, as a state, and really going to require some leadership, have to come to one uh, 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 a realization uh, that we have sort of been misled as to how effective these initiatives were going to be in being able to, to, to fix things that are broken. In fact, what we've done is made it worse. And then we're going to have to revise our Constitution, whether we do it a uh, single item like uh, removing the two-thirds vote or whether you lower it down to 55 percent or do a simple majority like every other state has, whether you require a two-thirds vote for the passing of the state budget, uh, which is ridiculous because, you know, in Washington there isn't a single in, in federal government. We govern. We, we would break down. America would not be a leading nation if we had a two-thirds vote requirement in Congress. We wouldn't be able to get anything done. And we would, you know, we'd lose, we'd lose any kind of uh, advantage we have to the rest of the world. We wouldn't be able to fund education, roads, or anything else. It would just be a mess. And so, uh, I think if you want California to be a leading nation state, which has had the reputation of being up until now, uh, we've got to fix our California Constitution, and we've got to ask every voter uh, to realize that it's they're as responsible for fixing it as are the politicians. I've been speaking with Congressman Sam Farr. He represents the 17th District of California in the United States House of Representatives. Thank you for speaking with me, Congressman Farr. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.